Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to find a psychiatrist that I can communicate with via subtweet. <laughs> Not subtweet. I could just tweet like, oh, I'm feeling really unfocused right now. And then like the <laughs> next day, a prescription for Adderall shows up at my door. I just got off the phone with my accountant and she is... Well, with <laughs> with our accountant. Our accountant. Yes, our accountant. Our accountant. She is uh, not happy with me, let me tell you. Why? I mean, I'm just really bad at doing accounting stuff of any kind. The Eastern Europeans that like run our business, they are incredible women. And they are so good at what they do, and I am not. They... <laughs> are like, did you categorize your expenses yet? Did you look at this spreadsheet yet? Did you, you know, make sure that this was filed and this was blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, 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 no. I haven't done any of it because, you know, we're money avoidant, which we've already talked about on this pod. But girl, being a freelancer yeah. is hard. I know. And I'm just restarting that part of my life after two years of just having a job and not having to think about any of it. And like... I filed for unemployment yesterday and was like, oh, yeah, this is something that I have to deal with. And, like, I need to get on new health insurance after this month. And just all these things that I forgot that when you work for yourself, as freeing as that is, it also means that you have to do all of the other stuff that is usually handled by the business who pays you. Yeah, and it's a lot. I mean, freelancing is, like, it's just a huge adjustment. How are you adjusting? I mean, you're, you've only been in it for a short while, but like any like initial ob- observations? 
I mean, I've only been in it for a short while this time. I have been a right. freelancer for very, very long periods of time at different points in my life. I think what's different about it now is I'm now freelancing again after coming out of a job where I acquired the most stability and made the most money of my life. So it's a big adjustment. It's also like a slightly easier adjustment because I like had capital for the first time in my life, which I think, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast will probably understand what a foreign concept that can be when you're a queer person, when you're a freelancer, when you're a creative, like the idea of having like real financial stability. So like, I am entering this new part of my life with, you know, like savings and like a better idea of how to manage my money. But I'm also entering this new part of my life with like much more expensive tastes than I've ever had. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out like, how do I somewhat maintain my lifestyle while working for myself and understanding that even though I know I'll be able to make money, it's not going to be in the same way where I'm like getting a really nice paycheck every two weeks. It might be like I'm getting a really nice paycheck every six months yeah. or something like that. Um, and just figuring out what that looks like. But it is it is extremely daunting to think about. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like, and we've talked about this before, just you and I, but like to me the rhythm that has worked for me and the rhythm that, you know, obviously took a lot of work prior to that to get to this point is one wherein I can work a lot for a few months and then take three or four or five months off. Like, I I want to, like, take huge long breaks and then work huge amounts for a a compact period of time, which is like why I, you know, like or want to work in film and TV. I love working on like project-based things. I like working in bursts. And I feel like you are kind of like that too. I, I am too. And I've been experiencing it on a smaller scale as I'm working on a book because I... Like yesterday, I felt like I had a really unproductive day. I watched two episodes of a docu-series about fundamentalist Mormonism and then wrote like 400 words. And I felt like that was a really unproductive day because like, I yes, I wrote those 400 words in like 45 minutes. And like to some people that might seem like a lot, but I find myself thinking, oh, why can't I just do that eight hours a day? Like then I could finish this book in like a couple weeks. But I'm like, understanding that it takes me that whole day of not writing to write. Like that's all the creative energy I have for that day. And I also can't like pop an Adderall every day and write for five hours. It's just not realistic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean like I, although I will be doing that this afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have like a long day ahead of me. Long freelance. There are some day, so. like I'm I'm starting to get into the rhythm of like, okay, what are the days that I can be okay with just like doing a little editing or like writing a couple paragraphs or writing one scene? And then what are the days when I'm like going to take an Adderall, ha- drink a bunch of coffee, sit down at my table and sit down at my computer and like write for five to eight hours. Yep. That's, yeah, my my routine is, like, when I am working or when I am in a writing groove, it's, like, I love mornings and I love working in the morning. I try to have, like, 
a short period, like while I have my coffee and just like listen to music or what, or like, you know, whatever, where I'm not doing work. But outside of that, I usually will just work a lot. And then I have to be done by like 2 PM. Like that is, I, I wake up mm. early enough where I, and this is like just what works for me. Like everyone who, if you're a freelancer at home, like you have to find your own rhythm and what works for you. Some people are night owls. Some people work in afternoons. Some people only like to work three days a week or whatever. For me, it's like I work most days, including weekends, but my brain is leaving at 3 p.m. And so I honor that by just not working after three. And, you know, sometimes that's not always an option for me. Sometimes I have obligations or records or meetings or gigs but you know i try i try to to keep that because i don't want to work all day you know no no one wants to work all day and yeah i'm i'm like kind of the opposite i find myself feeling more creative in the afternoon like giving myself the morning to like run my errands and like be a person kind of by then the the juices have like reached the level where i can write in the afternoon I've been trying to get back into the artist's way, which I was doing for a little bit in the winter, um, and doing so more, and not, doing that's so morning like pages. To Rose, I feel it really, it really is. And like, I guess, like, I tr- I works. do understand. I understand the point of it, which is like, it's getting you in the habit of just producing writing without thinking about it. And when I am writing, like for my for my novel. That is sometimes the hardest thing to do is just to get stuff down on the page because I sit there and like second guess myself. And um, the hardest part for me is like getting out the pages and the plot. Um, I'm really good like at going back and editing and punching things up and like adding voice. So I do think like I should be trying more to do morning pages just to get myself in that habit but it's so hard the last thing I want to do the first thing in the morning when I wake up is fucking write three pages of stream of consciousness bullshit yeah that's not really my process either I would love to be at that writing level and I think you know when I do get into like real book work territory like I I hope that I can find like a writing groove because I I have before but a lot of stuff that I'm doing these days is, like, not a ton of writing. I I set aside days to do writing for, like, whether it's, like, working on my show or working on my book. But, yeah, I don't know. I think the idea of, like, productive days is something that we, as a culture, like, need to move away from anyways. Like... Well, yeah, just the idea of productivity in general and, like, that being your only worth is, like, there are days when I just, I just can't. I don't have the energy to. And that's the whole reason why I don't have a job anymore is because I don't want to be adherent to, like, having to produce something every day. But it's crazy to think that I can't wake up in the morning and just, like, write a couple pages when, like, the first time we ever worked together when we were working in in media like i used to wake up in the morning and like write my first news story of the day in bed on in a google doc on my phone yeah i i mean that is incredible and i would i wish i possessed that kind of talent i i could never but i remember that era of our lives i'll say um i uh our 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 friend chani uh gave me this book called do nothing 
by Celeste Headley. It's a very Channy book to give. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Honestly, I think the book is a little bit of a misnomer. I think it should be called Do Less, not Do Nothing. But the book mm. is basically about how to... And I, you know, I, I unfortunately am like the target demographic for any kind of self-help book or any sort of like philosophical kind of like life, you know, advice book. But the book helps you deconstruct how the invention of the workforce in this country has like poisoned all of our minds into thinking that even our idle time, even our alone time, even our freelancer time where we don't have a boss or anybody supervising us, like even then we're still beating ourselves up if I like wake up and I watch, you know, Legendary for three hours or whatever. And but like sometimes you have to have those days. And I think that you just like kind of have to tell yourself that you're enough and that just because you didn't work nine to five, which if you work for yourself, why would you work nine to five, first of all? But second of all, it's just like you have to like rid yourself of that. I would recommend that book to truly anyone. If you read even the first five pages, you'd be hooked. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's 
smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. What's um the worst job you've ever had? Um, I used to work at a bagel store, and I was in college at a frat-run Indiana State School, and I worked the hangover shift on Saturday and Sunday mornings. So I dealt with the worst sorority girls being like, can I have my bagels scooped at like, you know, 7.30 in the morning or whatever. And I was always late for the shift. It was such an early shift. I was inevitably fired, of course, because I, you know, overslept my shift, I think maybe twice. Um, but, you know, I hated that job and it was for the better. What about you? I think my worst job was my first real media job um, when I worked at Next Magazine, which if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's um, it's a it's a magazine that used to be magazine is a generous term. Yeah, it's a it's a pamphlet that was that was free in in gay bars and um, other queer spaces around New York City. Um, and I was the nightlife editor there. And um, I had the worst boss I've ever had. <laughs> Truly, oh my God. Wait, like, what, what were they like? Um, just like a total fucking monster, and like really did not like me. The thing is, like, it was a job that afforded me so many opportunities because it was also the time in my life when I was going out the most and when I was a club kid. So I like had this magazine job forty hours a week, and then was going out forty hours a week on top of that. Um, so that's probably also part of the reason why it was bad. Um, but it was a job where I like the main bulk of the things I wrote were like party descriptions for like the weekend guide and like go to Barracuda to see Tina Burner, like that kind of shit. Tina Burner. Um, You know, and like there were good parts of it. It definitely like helped me make a lot of connections. I got to like interview a lot of cool people because of it, but it was a bad job. And I've, and I've had, I've had jobs that I think were like, worse in terms of the realities of them like jobs where I had worse working conditions or worse hours or um whatever but I think because that was like in so many ways my first job where I felt like I was doing something that was about like my talents and what I was interested in that's why it sucked the most but it is the thing that got me into you know quote-unquote media um, what job was that for you? Like your first media job? Hmm. I mean, my actual first media job was working at a local newspaper in Indiana in college. And I 
was at that news desk literally every single day of the week, seven days a week. And I'm pretty sure that the number of hours I clocked, I was probably getting paid like 25 cents an hour. Like it was, I was paid nothing. And, you know, my first New York media job, um, I worked briefly in book publishing as a studio manager in the cover art department at Random House, which was horrible and I hated Mm. it and, you know, didn't use any of my skill sets. Um, But it was a job and I inevitably left that job. It was the very first time I ever quit my job to be an editor at or an editorial assistant rather at a magazine a queer independent magazine that paid me I want to say $17,000 a year (laughs) like as a contractor so like after tax it's like nothing I hope that like the virgins at home like you know we started off this conversation or rather I started off this conversation being like I like to work a lot and then take five months uh, of a break which is a very unrelatable thing to say if you don't have that kind of like workflow or money flow But everyone at home has to know, as we're talking about now, that we started from the bottom, Mama. From the bottom. I mean, when I when I worked at Next to do and have been underpaid for a decade, over a decade. Yeah, I mean, when I worked at Next, I left there making thirty five thousand dollars a year, which in New York City is huge. That's a huge I, yeah. to, like salary to me for for a really for like a magazine of that scale. That is un, very sadly and unfortunately like to me a high salary. Yeah, because you know, spoiler alert to anyone looking to get into media, it is not Busted. well. It's not well paying. It is really hard to make real money working in media. That's why so many people have jumped ship to work in like tech and entertainment. Um, but the thing about working in media is that like you at least attempt to you know, split the difference with all of the perks that come from it. Mm-hmm. And that is what I I did for years. I know like you you did as well. You know, like getting the free stuff that's sent to you, like going to events for free, um, going on press trips, like, you know, the whole last couple years before I stopped working in, you know, like traditional media, I was, you know, traveling most of the time I was like getting sent free clothes. I was going to like parties every week and like drinking free drinks and eating free food. And like the, you know, the perks are nice, but, like, they only exist because you don't make any money. When I, I mean, similar, similarly, yes, I also had those perks, but, like, the travel and the parties and the connections or whatever, you're like, I'm I'm in it. Um, I also, like, definitely went out four to seven nights a week, um, which, like, when I was an editor, I considered part of the job, you know? I was, like, getting drinks with prospective writers or people that I wanted to work with or going to work functions or, like, just putting myself out there at parties, which... I mean, un- this isn't true of every job, but like if you work in a metropolis area and you work in an industry where connections matter, showing up to parties is 80% of my success. You know, like that that's where you meet and start to foster relationships with so many people that I work with now. And then the rest is, you know, over Instagram. You're really good at networking. I happen to be terrible at it. You know, I disagree. I, I, I think... So here's actually the thing is, it's not that either of us are good or bad at networking. It's that we're actually, I feel, both really good at the anti-networking networking. Because to me, I think networking is actually, like, really gross. And I, you have to do it sometimes. Oh, but you do it so well. Oh, here's the thing, girl. 
I work with my friends. That's not always true, but like I work with my duties and I have a lot of them. I have a huge group of people in my community that I consider friends in addition to colleagues and collaborators. And obviously a lot of these relationships are different and have different nuances, but like I am very adamant about getting to know someone first in a deep and meaningful way before I ask them for something. And if I don't know them, it's just like, why even bother asking? Because if you think you can like reach out to someone and ask someone for a favor after you've quote unquote networked with them once at a cocktail party, like it's not really going to foster like a real relationship. I mean, people reach out to me and ask me for favors who I (laughs) have no idea who they are. Like, and this is something you start to realize once you like are a very social person, have any sort of like platform. This is definitely something I experienced like when I was a club kid is that people have these entire relationships with you that you are not actually a part of and they feel really comfortable asking you for things. Like for me, it used to be like, can you get me into this party? Can you get Mm. me a connection with someone you work with? Mm. Can you get me a podcast? Like I have a Netflix show. Can you help me get it made? Like the things that people, you know, I understand people shooting their shot and I have certainly shot my shot with people before, but you're right. Like it's really weird when there's not some actual kind of like connection or investment. And like, I am very careful about the people who I work with, who I also have some kind of personal connection to. I mean, that that is very much the story of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Is like, you know, Fran and I used to work together, and I told them on the day they told me they were leaving to go work at Netflix that we could finally be friends because we didn't (laughs) work together anymore. (laughs) We had sneakily become friends just a little uh, tiny, just a little tiny bit. Just a little tiny bit. I liked you. Well, we'll say that. I I liked you. Okay, okay, fine, fine. Um, And then, and then when we you know, started making this podcast, we were both very clear that our friendship was more important than this podcast and that this was something that could only happen if it felt like based on the reality of our friendship and if like our real life relationship always came first before the work. Absolutely. And I I hope that's true of anybody that tries to work with someone who they're friends with. But like back to like the networking of of it all, it just like networking just needs to be eradicated. Because if you're going into a conversation with someone thinking about like what they can do for you, obviously sometimes that's a natural, like your brain just does that as a natural byproduct. But if you're just looking at this person the whole time as an opportunity, you The whole time? Girl, yeah, the whole time. You're just like set up for failure. Like I approach people as humans first and I have like become friends with people who... I either worked with once or I went into it and in the back of my brain, I was like, wow, like what an amazing connection. I bet they can help me do something. And years later, we are still like amazing friends or like really close Judy's and I've never asked anything from them or vice versa. And I feel like that to me is it, right? It's like figuring out how can, how it can be a real relationship first is like, to me, what builds great things because I think some of the best things are built with like collaboration and with community. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done 
has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. So we have a very interesting question that um, producer Phoebe has posed um, about us being business partners, which is if we went to platonic couples therapy, it would be to discuss blank. I mean, God, I don't know about this. Um, I, I will say everyone should do couples therapy. Like couples in general, even if you don't have problems, should be in couples therapy. I think friends that ever, you know, work together or like have a lot of moving parts in their friendship. Like, I think joint therapy is, like, amazing. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to have 
problems to get to the therapy part. Yes, but like we do have problems. Yes. And I will say, so this is actually something that Fran and I have already talked about this year. And it was like a hard thing for me to dig into on my own. But for me, what I would want to talk about would be my um, codependence Mm. because I moved to LA mid pandemic. Fran is one of my closest friends in the city and we also work together. And so like it got to a point in the winter where not only my social life, but my professional life were all wrapped up in one person. And like, you know, you and I talked about this, like Mm -hmm. you can't be all both of those things all the time for me. Mm. And it's definitely, I don't know that it's an issue anymore that I would want to work on in couples therapy, but like that to me is one of the things that, you know, if you and I had at any point gone to like a friend therapist together, (laughs) that's what I would have talked about, which is like, I need to be more independent. um, And I can't like rely on you for all these things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's tr- that's true. And we did we did. Do you have think that's not? Do you think that's not what it should be? No. I I was trying to think of what mine would what what I would say, and I feel like for me it would be about like the way I communicate when work and friendship is blurred. And you and this is like something. It's so funny because on a, a few bonus episodes ago, you were like, "Fran, you're not that nice," which I take as a compliment still. Like, but it but it the truth behind that is like. I can be extremely direct with my friends in a way that's just not very friendly. And I think a lot of times, uh, I would say that nine times out of 10, when that happens with someone that I love, it's because I'm in between work functions or like I'm in between meetings or I'm in passing and I'm, you know, doing a bunch of things and, and I'm just like, I didn't, I forgot to snap out of work mode. And when I'm working, I'm, I'm very direct. I'm very like, philosophically against like um what we call soft language weak language like I just like say what I want to say but that you know lacks humanity and empathy and I think a lot of the times not just with this podcast but with food for thought whoo I mean if you think you've seen Fran in an ugly work era you should see me during food for thought because those girls and I had a reckoning that I mean, everybody had a part to play, but like I can be a monster when I am in work mode, and it's something that I have grown so much from, and I, I'm really proud of that. Like I, I don't feel like I have those issues on a day to day anymore, but I have come very far because like I'm 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 embarrassed of of how I treated my colleagues at Food for Thought, um, you know, in the the first year or two of our podcast and. I'm really grateful that, you know, they have since accepted my apology and that we all work together so well and lovingly now, you know? Well, like the best thing that your friends and collaborators can do, I believe, is not to, you know, be ooey gooey about it, but call you in and call you out and be like, hey, you're doing something that is making me feel bad or making it hard to work with you. And I would rather us talk about it than it like build up into something bigger. Like I have so appreciated the times when you've come to me with things like that. I've really appreciated when I've come to you in those moments and you've been really receptive and like have been like, 
you know what, you're totally right, like, and like validated my experience. And I think it's only through being that kind of honesty. Is anyone able to keep working together and maintaining a friendship? Because like, you can work with people you hate. But I think it's a lot harder to work with people that you love. Yeah. Or it's just like a different kind of complicated. I agree. And you know, that's why I think that this podcast just That's why we try to keep the stakes as low as possible. We try to keep it fun and something that we both look forward to. I mean, we're not even, like, making any money right now. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that the virgins at home can continue to, like, share this podcast more and more, especially during Pride season, because, you know, when we do get better numbers, that means actual advertising income for us but like right now like you know we're just this is just fun um and i i feel like that has helped us stay honest about you know how it like stems from our relationship and like the work-life balance to, to strike from that and speaking of supporting this podcast we are doing our first ever live event in new york city on june 28th and you should really come to it if you live in or around New York. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to another one of our Pride bonus episodes. Um, special thanks to our producer Phoebe and our entire team at iHeart. See you Thursday for our regularly scheduled episode. And again, please get tickets for our first live show. You can go to either of our Instagrams and in the link in our bio or go to our burner account at like a virgin for 2069 see you later virgins bye danielle moody here host of the woke af daily podcast we've been with iheart for a year and what a year it has been as we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle woke af daily is here to keep you sane and woke Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts something that makes me crazy is when people say well i had this career before but it was a waste And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.